if you have your Bibles, if you will join me in the Gospel of John, and we are in chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 19, and walking through this gift of a gospel from the disciple John. And uh, the theme of today's message is really around just being amazed by Christ. Um, it could be today or even this week that you have used the word or the phrase, that's amazing. Uh, I say that word a lot. Uh, and I, I, I'm amazed by many things. I'm amazed by simple things. I, I had an opportunity to go over to uh, the North American Mission Board, the, the headquarters is over in Atlanta, and, and uh, we network with about 47,000 other churches uh, to plant churches and equip churches and, and, uh, and send relief to those, whether it's disaster relief, those kind of areas, and it's kind of home-based out, uh, out of Atlanta. And so I was on my way over there, I was driving, and, and I hit the, the, the part uh, or, the, or the, the time where I needed gas in my tank, and and I don't know how many of y'all have traveled through Birmingham, but you get on the other side of Leeds, like coast to Talladega, and there is a gas station there called Bucky's. Has anybody ever heard of Bucky's? You need to go. Just plan a trip. This 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 is a gas station, but it is not a gas station. It is it is a it is a Walmart, and it is a food court, and it is a Lowe's, all mixed into one. And there's pumps as as far as the eye can see. This place is amazing, and so. Plan a trip. It's worth it. Uh, I'd love to go too. If you go back, it's awesome. And uh, I'm amazed, amazed by different things. On the same trip, I was headed east on the interstate and, and I'm driving in the morning. But as I'm driving, I'm like driving directly uh, as the sun is rising. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of days where I just don't think much about the sun. But when you're driving and you're headed somewhere and you're by yourself, like you, you reflect on things. And I started thinking about the sun and how amazed I am by the sun. I mean, think about it. God has, has so set forth in his divine plan that he has placed a burning star about 97 million miles away that gives us light. That God has so situated our earth in such a way that if we were a, a fraction closer to the sun, we would melt. If we were a fraction further away, we would freeze. Like God, like right now, he is, he is, he has created this world in such a way that we are spinning right now and we're sitting down and we're standing on our feet. Like God is amazing. And you think about this, think about, I just think about even just in life, these things that, that I've been able to see probably you have to think about these things that have just amazed you. Like I'm amazed that, that, that you can go to Hawaii and just look out there and just see wells jumping around. I'm amazed at the, at the majesty of the Rocky Mountains. I'm amazed at the beauty of the Smoky Mountains. I'm amazed that God has gifted people with this ability to create skyscrapers that just seem to go on forever and ever and ever. It's just amazing. The expanse of the Grand Canyon, if you've ever seen that, it's like, oh my, it's amazing. I lived in Puerto Rico for a summer one time and, and they have, a, they have a, a little island off the coast of Puerto Rico and, and, and on that island there is a bay called Mosquito Bay and, and it, is, it is called that for a reason. Like They are fierce in that place, but there's this bioluminescent bay. It's one of the few in the world, but basically this bay has these little micro tiny organisms that their defense is to light up. 
And so literally you go at night, you can go on these kayak tours and you can run your hand through the air and it looks like a fireworks show going down your arm. It's amazing. You look and you can't see fish, but you can see the outline of fish like darting because these tiny microorganisms are just like shining this light. It's, it's, it's just amazing to me. And yet so many of the things, really everything that I've just shared, you could put under one category and that category is created. Everything that I just talked about, everything that, that we are amazed by is created. And what it all does is it's designed to point us to the creator. It's designed to point us to Christ. John in his gospel at the very beginning, he told us, he told us that Jesus Christ is the agent of creation. That he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning was God. And then he says this in verse three. He says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So everything really is designed to point us to the creator and to be amazed at Christ, to be amazed by his love and his care toward us. And that's kind of the main idea of this morning's message is really, may we never be amazed at the fact that the son of God has come and that only he can satisfy our deepest need, our deepest longings, our deepest need. Our deepest need is forgiveness of our sin that we could be in the presence of a holy God. And he has gifted that he has given that to us made available through a son. And so may we never stop being amazed by that. And so as we, as we look at the amazing Christ today, and we're reminded about the amazingness of Christ, that John, the disciple wrote this book for a very specific purpose. And that purpose, he tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, he said, these things I have written that you may know or believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. And so as he is writing this gospel account to the world, he's writing with purpose. He's writing with an evangelistic purpose. He's writing for the whole world to see and understand that life can only be found in Jesus, everlasting life. But he also writes so that you will know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And so there's like a defense and apologetic that we read through here. And, and, and as we read the gospel, figuratively speaking, he's going to call different witnesses to the stand. And the first witness that he's going to call to the stand is one we're going to read about this morning. And it is the witness of John the Baptist, John the baptizer. And if you're familiar with his story, I mean, he had to have been just a wild man. Like he, he was a camel hair wearing locust eating wild honey eating brother. And, and here he was, he was the forerunner. He was the voice as we'll see his whole life was about pointing other people to Jesus. And so here, John the Baptist is, again, figuratively going to be called to the witness stand to be a witness so that the world, so that we would all know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So John chapter 1, verse 19, let's jump in here. And the word of God says, and this is the testimony of John, John the baptizer. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So evidently, John the baptizer, 
He, he had powerful preaching. No doubt he was anointed by God. He was called by God and the, his popularity is, is rising so much to the point where the religious leaders in Jerusalem were like, listen, we got to send some people out there to see what is going on. Now, the priest would have been what would be the, the Bible scholars. They would be the theological experts. They would be the ones that people would always look to for all the answers if they needed some answers. And then the scribes had different roles in the, in the temple, but, but they, they were like temple security as well. So you got the, the theological experts going out and you got the, the security going out. And they're like, okay, we are going to get to the bottom of this. What is going on? And at the time of the birth of Jesus and his ministry, it's important that there was an all-time high fever pitch expectation for the Messiah. And so he's sending them out. They're sending this group out there. Who are you? Verse 20, John the baptizer says, he confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And so like one, two, three, he's like, uh-uh, not him, not me. Like three times in a row, uh, he confessed, he didn't deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And we're gonna take this away from John the baptizer. His life was never about him. His life was never, who are you, what are you about? His life was always pointing others to Jesus, always doing that. And so they continue in verse 21 and they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Again, theological Bible experts. They're familiar with their Old Testaments. They know that Malachi 3.1, Malachi 4.5, the Jews expected Elijah to be that, that, that forerunner for the Messiah when he comes. So they're like, are you Elijah? Matter of fact, and I'll plant the seed now because it is, it is the hope, but, uh, but our hope is this year, uh, on, on Good Friday, Good Friday and Passover that the Jews celebrate fall on the same day. And so on Passover, Jews all over the world have a Seder meal. And so we are, we are striving to have a Seder Passover meal on Good Friday this year. And what happens is, 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 is traditional Jewish families, as they celebrate Passover, they keep an empty chair as a part of their family meal, the Passover. Why? Because symbolically, it's a place for Elijah. Because they're waiting for Elijah to come. And they know that will be the signal that the Messiah is coming. And so they're like, are, are you Elijah? Now, John the Baptist was Elijah-like. Bible says so. Matter of fact, they dressed a lot alike. But John the Baptist is John the baptizer. He's like, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, are you the prophet? So over in Deuteronomy chapter 18, again, the Jews will be very familiar with this. Moses spoke about a prophet that will come and will, and will preach the word of God. And they're like, are you, are you him? Which in the gospels, Jesus later reveals, I'm the prophet that he was talking about. But again, they're missing the whole thing. They're missing. They're like, who are you? Who are you? And so the interrogation just keeps on coming. Verse 22. And they said to him, well, then who are you? Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, and I'm just going to stop right there because I wasn't there when this is happening, but you can almost, as you read it, you can almost feel the tension rising. Can't you? The religious priests, the scribes, 
Who are you? 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 <laughs> Who are you? And John the Baptist could have gotten in the flesh, right? So when I say that, he could have let his emotions got the best of him. You ever been in a high tense situation and the interrogation is on or you feel like it is and like you just kind of have enough and you just kind of like, let me tell you, like John the Baptist could have been, let me tell you who I am. I am the last of the Old Testament prophets. That's who I am. My daddy was a temple priest. That's who I am. The Holy Spirit has empowered me from the womb to be the forerunner. That's who I am. I am, Jesus says, Matthew 11, I'm the greatest man that has ever lived. That is who I am. Like he could have gone there. He could have gone there. But one of the marks that I believe is the, one of the reasons why Christ said he's the greatest man that's ever lived is because of his, his humility. His, 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 by God's grace, his ability not to just fire away, which he could have, he could have, but he didn't, he didn't look at, uh, we, we want to read back through this verse 22. They said, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Who, who, what do you say about yourself? He said, he says this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, again, Bible scholars, they know their Old Testament. They know the writings of Isaiah. And like I said, I wasn't there. I don't know. But I can only imagine that when the priest heard, I am the voice of the one in the wilderness who's crying out, that their jaws probably were dropping on the ground because they know that passage and they know that verse. And John the baptizer is saying, I am that voice. That's who I am. And again, he's pointing people to Jesus. That Isaiah 43, it's a quote from the Old Testament, a direct quote, and it's ringing in their ears. And for John, and John's mission in his life was all about preparing the way of the Lord, preparing the way of the Lord. Back in the day, if somebody were to prepare the way, what they're saying is this. They're saying, take the high places, level them out. See all those potholes, fill them in. Are there any blockages, hindrances, anything like that that's going to be in the way of the king that's coming, move them out of the way, prepare the way. And that's what John the baptizer is. He is the voice and he is the forerunner and he is the one that is saying, prepare the way because the king is coming. The king is coming. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. So John the baptizer, he, this isn't where baptism began. Baptism was a practice that was practiced for, for centuries. Even Jews, when, when, when a non-Jew would want to become a Jew, they would go through a ritual cleansing of baptism. In other words, the, the Jews would be like, if you're going to be one of us, you got to get baptized. But here John is saying this, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you think you got it all together or not. It doesn't matter if you're a theological Bible scholar priest. 
We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we all need to be baptized. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It's a, it's a baptism of acknowledging sin and preparing for the Savior. And so this is what he is preaching and proclaiming. Repent and be baptized. And so, and so when the Jews start seeing these people being baptized, they're like, what, what is going on? Now, as believers, we are baptized in what we would call Christian baptism. Why? Because Christ was our example. Not only that, but Christ commands us to be baptized by immersion after salvation. That's what we see in the New Testament. Everybody that becomes a believer in the New Testament is baptized by immersion after salvation. For Christian baptism, where John's baptism would be a baptism of, of, of acknowledging sin and turning from sin and turning to the Messiah to come, Christian baptism is identifying ourselves with Christ, that we are in Christ and that his death, burial and resurrection on the cross is how we have life. And it's a, it's a message just beating the drum of the gospel every time somebody's baptized. And so this is what we see in verse 27. John the baptizer says this, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And again, we just hear the humility ringing out in our ears. John's example, John's testimony, his witness. He's like, listen, I can't, I can't even bow down and I can't even untie his shoelace. Like this is who's coming. This is the king. I'm not, I'm not worthy. And so as we look at John's life and his example, a couple observations. One is that uh, the faithful embrace God's calling in their life. And John absolutely did. He absolutely did. He embraced the calling. A faithful believer embraces calling. I say the word faithful and notice I did not say that the gifted embrace the calling. That the, the one that seems to have it all together embraces the calling or the one that just like, wow, they have like super awesome skills and talents. Uh, like, no, I love, this is such an encouraging word for believers. Faithful. <laughs> That's it. And we're not faithful in our own strength, faithful in God's strength to embrace his calling. Every single one of us as believers are called every single one of us. That's not on the table. The Bible makes it clear as a believer, you have been called to a life of mission. We talk about love God, love people, live sent. Every single one of us. The Bible says, go make disciples of all nations. And so we are called to be missionaries in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, everywhere we live, work, and play. A missionary. So there's a big C calling, which we all have as believers. And then there's what we'll call the little C calling. And that would be the, that special calling that God has on your life. I love the word uh, Paul tells us over in it's Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. God has a plan for your life. And whether that's a school teacher or to be a dentist or a lawyer or a coach or uh, a manager or, or working at a supermarket, like what it like fill in the blank, whatever that is, God has, has gifted you. He's put gifts, spiritual gifts in you to bless the church. He's, he's wired you with a unique personality that you all have unique talents and abilities. And you all have these different experiences and we're all passionate about different things. 
And just think about that's no mistake. Like God wants to use your divine wiring to make a significant kingdom impact. And so what would it look like to see God? This is how you made me. This is how you wired me. What does it look like to make you known in the world and how you've made me? And that's what John the baptizer did. John the baptizer was the big C, right? Point everybody to Jesus. That's what we're all called to do. He was the voice, but his special calling was he was the forerunner. He was the forerunner. That was his special calling. That wasn't for anybody else. That was for him. And so he is that faithful voice leading out. And so may we be faithful to point others, the world to Jesus, not in our, just our big C calling, but in our little C calling. The, the faithful embrace God's calling. A second observation is the faithful verbalize the message of the gospel. Listen, what I'm about to ask, I'm about to ask a question. I'm asking myself the same question. This is in no means any kind of like calling anybody out. It's just simply a question to reflect on. And that is this. As believers, as those who desire to be faithful, when was the last time that we verbally we verbally told another person about the hope of Jesus. John the baptizer was a verbalizing proclaimer of the good news. That's who he was. He was a voice. He was completely good with just being a voice. Look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said with his words, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, I got an exclamation point in my Bible. You can almost hear the awe in John's voice. You can hear the wonder in his voice. You can hear the amazement in his voice that God has come, that he has come to take away the sin of the world. And he uses lamb language. This, this letter was written for the world, for the Jews and the Gentiles, but the Jews, especially when they hear lamb of God to take away sin, they're like, their Passover radar is going off <laughs> because it just so happens that this account that we're reading about right now was just days before Passover. And the focus of Passover is the slaughter of a lamb without blemish or spot. And in reminder or remembrance of the great miracle of the Old Testament. If you're familiar with the story, the people of God are in bondage in Israel and God instructs them to take a lamb without spot or blemish. And the, each family slaughters the lamb and takes the blood of that lamb and they place on the doorpost of their home so that when God brings judgment on sin and evil and wrath for those who are under the blood of the spotless lamb, his wrath will pass over them. And so when John says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, this is the once and for all sacrifice. We see every family would come to Jerusalem and Passover that could make it. And every family would bring a lamb to substitute for their sin. And not only that, but in the temple every day of the year, there would be a slaughtering of two lambs, one in the morning and one in the evening. And I, 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 I would imagine that there could have been times and moments. Remember John the baptizer, his daddy was a temple priest. 
that some of us, uh, wherever we work, when we get home from work, you can tell what kind of work we did. <laughs> you ever think about it? whether it's like dirt in your fingernails or, or sleeves rolled up or, or like maybe mentally you're drained because your head has just been like working in administrative details all day. Well, it could be that even in John the baptizer's training up and raising up that he would see his daddy come home from the temple and that it would not be strange that there would be blood stains from a lamb maybe on his clothes. And so here is just this reminder that in the economy of God, from the beginning, really of creation, uh, blood was always necessary to forgive sin. Every time. And you think about this, even going back to Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, the creation account, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sinned against God. They're shamed now all the sudden and they're trying to hide. What does God do? He sacrifices an animal and sheds blood so that they can have coverings for their sin. It's like the whole picture. And so every Passover, every lamb, every morning, every night coming into Passover was all this reminder that there is only one lamb and that is the lamb of God that could ultimately be the substitutionary um, sacrifice for us and be the once and for all sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. It all points to Jesus. Hebrews seven twenty seven says this, speaking of Christ, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. And so John the baptizer is like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To which, how will they know? How will the world know if we do not share? And this is what Paul says. He says it to the Romans. Romans 10, 14. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And you'd be like, oh, okay, I'm not a preacher. <laughs> I'm not a preacher. The word there is proclamation. In other words, that you are verbally sharing the hope of Jesus with a world that desperately needs Jesus, to which we are all called to share. And so here you see this faithful witness, the voice, Life was never about him. It was always about Jesus. His voice, he was the voice. He wasn't the message. He was just the voice sharing the message. And in verse 30, the Bible says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me, that being God, him who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. He's on the, he's on the witness stand. This is the Son of God. You see, because up to that point, like John, and the, John, John the baptizer and Jesus, they, 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 knew, they knew who each other was. But John the Baptist didn't 100% know he was the Messiah. But he knew he was the Messiah, the Messiah because God told him. 
When he's baptized, the Holy Spirit is going to descend and going to remain. All through the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit will come and empower. Empower for a specific task, for something specific to be done that can only be done in the power and wisdom of God. And then the Holy Spirit would lift. In the New Testament, through by grace, through faith, the Holy Spirit remains here. The Holy Spirit remains on Christ. This is the Messiah. He knows. He knows it is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so again, John's life is all wrapped up in the mission of God. I'm not the message. I'm just the voice. And he's completely good with that. Jesus is the message. He's the only one who can give you what you need. The faithful will embrace God's calling on their life. The faithful will verbalize the message of the gospel. One more observation. God uses the faithful to make an eternal kingdom impact in the lives of others. Look at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said it. There it is again. Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. I just wonder how many in the room today who have a testimony, who have had that time in their play, time and place in their life where they acknowledged their sin and they turned from their sin and they trusted in the finished work of Jesus to be their savior. I just wonder how many of us were personally led to Christ by another person. You don't, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but that's my testimony. I was 10 years old. I was a fourth grader and an eighth grader led me to Christ after church one night on the way to play basketball in the gym. So thankful for Stephen Howell. But many of us, like we, God used another person to, to guide us into knowing the gospel and sharing the gospel. And, and I, I I was sharing with a buddy of mine. It was a week and a half ago or so. We were sitting knee to knee and we were talking and we were, but we're kind of in the same stage of life. And, 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 and I'm just like, man, and I'm just going to be honest with, with, you know, with y'all. I'm like, man, I just, I want my life to count. I want to, I want my life to have a kingdom ripple. Like not, not for me, not for me, but for the glory of God. Like, if you think about this, Think about when you were 16 years old. I'm, gonna, I'm looking at my 16-year-old self. Some of y'all look to your future 16-year-old self, all right? Or, or maybe you're there. Any 16-year-olds in the house? All right. Well, we were there one time, or you will be there, all right? And so here's the thing. Is, is somebody comes at me, and they were say, Jared, what are you most excited about? What are you most excited about? I would probably say graduating high school. Like, cause that means I will be free right, in, in my head. And so it's kind of like, okay, Jerry, well then what then? Then what? Well, then I am going to, uh, maybe I'm going to get out. I'm going to get in the workforce. I'm going to get a job and I'm going to, I'm going to work and that, and, and get, you know, get on my own two feet and do that. That's great. Or maybe it's, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to continue my education and I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Okay. Then the question is, then what? Well, then I'm going to either graduate or I'm going to continue working or I'm going to get a job. Okay, then what? Then maybe I will get, I will find my spouse and we're going to get married and we might even have children. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Then what? Well, I will, I will work and, and keep working. I will work my way up the ladder and, uh, and I'm just going to keep working. Okay, well, then what? Well, at some point there'll be, I guess, a retirement because I think that's what you do at some point. 
And so, so I guess I will do that. Okay. Well then what? Well then when I'm retired, like, is it true? Like when you're retired, you get to do whatever you want to. Right. So they're like, no, there's no kind of like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm certain that's not how it works, but you're like, I'm going to retire. Okay. Then what? Then what? Then what? Cause there comes a point for all of us, regardless of what your age, that ultimately it all ends in the same spot. And that is this. What is your response to Jesus? And what have you been living for this whole time? Every second is a gift from God. Every second. And by God's grace, I just want to look back and I want to, I want to look back. I want to say, who's, who's, you know, who have I, who have I invested in for eternity's sake? And so you just want to see that. And so you see that in John's life, you see him being this faithful witness. And so by God's grace, May we never stop being amazed that the lamb has come so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have life and life to the full. Because Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one who can satisfy our deepest hopes. He's the only one that can satisfy our deepest longings. He's the only one that can satisfy our deepest need. And that is forgiveness to which he grants in his grace. And so I'm amazed by a lot. I'm amazed at Bucky's gas stations. <laughs> it really is amazing. And I'm amazed at the Grand Canyon. And I'm amazed that my lovely bride said yes to me almost 15 years ago. I'm amazed that there are five little people in our house that call me daddy. And, and one of them doesn't talk yet. But when he does, he's going to get there, right? He's going he's to grow up. But just that, that, like, I'm amazed by that. I'm amazed that God has allowed me the privilege to serve this faith family, this flock. Like, I'm amazed. But of it all, like, I am most amazed that God loves me. Can, can I get a witness on that? Like, he knows me. <laughs> he knows me. And he knows you too. And he loves you. I was with a pastor. I was with a whole bunch of pastors this week, but, but I was with a group of pastors. One, one gentleman was a pastor and he was just awesome, man. He said when he was 18 years old, he said his entire life until he was 18 years old, he never had one person tell him he loves him. His mother did not tell him. His father never told him. He never had a family member. He said, my testimony is this, to the age I was 18, I had nobody ever told me they loved me. He said, and then I had a friend in high school who invited me to church one night. And they went to the youth service that was happening on a Wednesday night. And he said, I went in that youth service and that youth pastor was preaching the word. And in that message, he taught about how God loves everybody and how God loves you. And he said for the first time in his 18 year old life, he heard that somebody loved him. And, and, and we just like, God just loves us no matter what. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing that God loves us, that God desired a relationship with us. He pursues us and that God in his grace and love grant us forgiveness through a relationship with him that was made possible because God so loved the world that he gave his son, the lamb of God, who only 
And him alone can take away the sin of the world. He's the only one. So we're, we're, I mentioned we're going to do service a little bit different, but we're actually going to transition to a time of communion as we wrap up our service this morning. And as we talk about communion, uh, we are reminded uh, of why we do it. And that's because we do it as a faith family because, because Christ commands us to. Two ordinances. He says, do this baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we do this to, to remember his sacrifice. We do this to reflect on his grace and his love and his care toward us. And what's interesting is if you'll kind of think back to the, the final week of Jesus's earthly ministry, it was, he was heading to Jerusalem. And what time was it? It was Passover. And he's heading into Jerusalem and it's Passover. And on the evening that the disciples would celebrate Passover, he gathered his disciples in an upper room and they're sharing this Passover meal. And as they're sharing this Passover meal, the Lamb of God is going to bring new meaning to this Passover meal. Because for so long, this blood or this juice uh, that we're going to share, the juice is symbolic of Christ's blood. And so for so long, the fruit of the vine was symbolic of that, of that Passover lamb. The great miracle of God that, that, that passed over, his wrath passed over those under the blood of the spotless lamb and, and how this would serve as a remembrance for his people of how he delivered them from, from bondage and, and, and the wrath of Egypt. And yet now Christ is going to give new meaning in that he is the Passover lamb. He's the true Passover lamb. Because now this, this, this fruit of the vine does not represent the blood of a, of a, of a physical lamb. This, this blood, this juice is going to be symbolic of the lamb of God. The only one who can take away the sin of the world, the once and for all sacrifice and the bread being symbolic of his body. And so it is a reminder with a message and it's a reminder of what Christ has done for us. And so as we take these elements as a faith family um, in obedience to him, I think I think Paul gives us some instruction. In other words, he's like, hey, when you do this, don't don't approach it like recklessly. And, and I, I wouldn't say anybody does or is, but rather take it carefully. Like, don't take it carelessly. And so, so there's, a, there's some heart preparation that, that happens. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. 27. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread of, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so we want to give just a few moments for heart preparation. So, so whatever that looks like for you, we're just going to play a, a little bit of a music in the background, but, but Hey, this is, this is just heart prep. This is an opportunity for us to clear out all our heart and mind with all those many, many things that we need to get to and take care of and all those things, but just simply focus on Jesus. So he gathered his disciples and he's like, let, let me, let me, let's begin a new thing here. Let's begin this new covenant, this new Testament. 
As he is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. So whatever that looks like for you. Actually, some, some pastors will be sitting on the front just for a few minutes. If you want to slip up and just come and let us pray with you, we would love to do that. If you want to come to the altar, you're welcome to come to the altar. We're, we're a family. It's, 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 it's all good. If you would feel led to get on your knees at your seat, you feel comfortable for that. We're just taking a little bit of time and to focus our hearts on the Lord. And so let me pray for us and, uh, and we'll have that time together. Father, we love you. And uh, we thank you, God, for just your incredible love. And I thank you for the faithful witness of John who embraced everything that you made him for. And God, that, that he was just this voice. He was, he was just, his life was just fine being summed up as nothing more than a voice to point people to our only hope, and that is you, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, Father, I pray as a faith family, as we prepare to take these elements, God, that we would reflect on what you've done and what you did for us. That, God, you instructed us to do this together. And so I pray that we will prepare our hearts in whatever way that needs to look like. And God, I do just want to take a moment and just realize there could be someone in the room or, or maybe even online that maybe they don't have that personal relationship with Jesus. And, uh, and that there's no greater day than today for the, to be the day of salvation. And that's simply acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, changing your mind about your sin and turning to the finished work of Jesus and receiving him as the Lord of our lives, his death, his burial, his resurrection. So perhaps... Even this time is a, is a time of, 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 of praying to be saved or of commitment. God, you, we pray you have your way in our hearts in this time. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.